over there spiraling all alone. If you've got issues, grab your earbuds and some tissues. Let's laugh about it. Cause we're crying behind sunglasses. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl. I hope you're all doing well out there. I am so grateful to have this platform and to have you all listening. Uh, If it is your first time here, don't forget to subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you are listening on today. Uh, And if if you're coming back, then thank you, you know, for liking me enough to listen again. Uh, Disclaimer, this show is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. If you're having a problem, please go to a real doctor. I know I sound really smart, but you know, just in case you're new here, (laughs) I am not a doctor. At least not yet. So as we enter, what, year three of this damn pandemic, I am starting to see that there is no going back to normal, but rather just accepting COVID as a part of every day and moving on with my life. Uh, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but it is what it is. And I know technically that COVID is not a mental health issue, but it is because the pandemic is separating all of us from each other. I mean, there are kids that have missed two years of school now. A lot of us adults, just our social lives in general have been impacted or people are working from home indefinitely. So, yeah, Uh, and also personal life updates, since y'all know I am all about being completely transparent on here, I am happy to share that I recently started taking a daily antidepressant, Uh, and this is something that's new for me. I, for some reason, just really did not want to take something daily. I also felt like I haven't had an issue with depression for that long of a time that I felt like I really needed it, but... After a lot of trauma last year and COVID brain fog, I really got thrown off. So I felt like it was time to try and get something to just, you know, take the edge off. So I tried Wellbutrin, which didn't work for me. Now I'm taking Effexor, which uh, I should say, of course, everyone's experiences are different because all of our brains and bodies have different chemistry. (laughs) That's what's so beautiful about being a human and that why. That's why there is such a variety of medication out there because there is no one pill that is going to work for everyone. But I digress. Uh, So now I've been on Effexor for about a month. First two weeks, I had some nausea and fatigue. And after that, it's been smooth sailing. I feel really evened out. Like the highs and the lows of my moods are not as extreme. And I feel like I can get out of bed in the morning. I don't magically feel happy all the time. Someone recently asked me what it feels like being on an antidepressant and truly it just makes things easier. I don't feel like I'm on a drug. I just feel like me with less background noise. And I think ideally that's the goal. You know, it didn't magically fix all of my problems, but it is giving me the stability to be able to do that for myself now, which feels nice. I also feel a lot less craving for alcohol than I did before, uh, less wine mom, (laughs) and my sleep schedule is a lot better too. So I guess I'm a fan of these drugs now. On to our guest today. He is a comedy writer and an internet comedy bit king, Joey Clift. He has also carved out a really cool niche for himself in Hollywood as a Native American writer. Most recently, he did a short for Comedy Central called How to Cope with Your Team Changing Its Native American Mascot. Some topics that we covered today. Growing up on a Native American reservation. How Joey got started in comedy a sensory deprivation tank. What is that like? Being in an emotionally abusive relationship and how you can choose better for yourself. So um, I hope that you enjoy today's episode. And after you're finished listening, you can go to cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I put up all the episode guides with more info about anything that we talked about. 
And of course, don't forget to subscribe or follow, leave a review. And without further ado, please enjoy. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl. And today I have with me a good friend of mine. He is a comedy writer. Um, I would say perhaps the unofficial king of internet bits, uh, an enrolled member of the Cowlitz tribe. Please welcome Joey Clift. Hello. Uh, yeah, how's it going, Kayla? How's it going, everybody? Uh, thanks so much <laughs> for having me on this show. Uh, wait, this is smiling behind sunglasses, right? This is just optimistic, happy stuff. Oh, yes. Happy stuff only. Uh, we, oh, this is a, oh, this is a show that promotes toxic positivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just to- it's just yelling at people. Have you tried being happy? <laughs> have you have you done your guided journaling and meditation yet today? <laughs> I can tell that you're not enlightened yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Oh, thank God. OK, good. Uh, good. I do like yelling at people. They should smile more. <laughs> This is, the, this is the, this podcast, right? It's just being toxic at people. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, that's one of my favorite things about wearing a mask is that it, it completely eliminates that whole thing that used to happen to me when I would walk down the street. And it was always like older men that would be like, you should smile more. You'd be so pretty if you smiled. <laughs> I So my question for those guys is, has have what is the best end of that situation like has anybody has anybody taken that advice without flipping them off i don't know but it gives me the rage and i'm so glad that i haven't had that happen to me in in about two years now (laughs) my uh very like low version of that is um i started invisalign a year ago Mm -hmm. and uh wearing a mask is very beneficial because nobody knows oh yeah there you go i mean it, it it, there are a lot of different things that are great about it other than preventing diseases. You know, there, there's these, these uh, other other parts of it. And even like if you have like some sort of social awkwardness where you don't know what to do with your mouth. No, <laughs> has to know the weird things that you're doing with your mouth. Yeah, I really want to meet somebody that's go to is that they walk around with their mouth just wide open. <laughs> it's mean, like, hi, <laughs> is ah. this what is this what I do? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm just so glad to have you on the show. I know we've been going back and forth forever, and I've been trying to get you on here. Um, so thank you for being here. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with his work, um, he has written for Cartoon Network, DreamWorks, Nerdist, Cracked, UCB, a million different places. Um, there's a short film that I just had the pleasure of watching that's going around the, the film festival circuit, uh, My First Native American Boyfriend, which should be available for the public maybe later this year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind that? Uh, Yeah, thank you uh, so much for asking. Uh, So My First Native American Boyfriend is a short comedy film. Um, It's inspired by uh, a relationship I was in a few years ago where I was uh, dating a woman who, um, after we were a few weeks into the relationship, she shook me awake at like three in the morning with just a look of absolute like concern in her eyes. Uh, because she needed to tell me that when she was five years old, her mom dressed her up like Pocahontas from the Disney movie, and she just needed to apologize about it. That's so funny, because that's in the movie, and I thought, I thought this, Joey is writing something that is hyperbolic, but it's based on real life. Oh, yeah, it's very much, yeah, that's the first, uh, that's the first beat of the story, (laughs) uh, except in the, in the short, it happens on a hike, whereas in my life, it happened uh, being woken up at three in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. And. And of course, like, I apologize. I was just like, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. Whatever. Go back to bed. But like, um, it, basically, the goal of the short was to kind of like take situations like that. And I feel like that's not uncommon in um, situations where you're dating somebody that's out of your culture, where yeah. like, I feel like sometimes people feel the need to, you know, like apologize for weird microaggressions kind of like as a means to absolve themselves from any guilt that, you, that they have over the course of yeah. their life. Yeah. Well, like, I'm Jewish and I had someone this year be like, because some people don't realize I'm Jewish because they'll be like, you don't look Jewish. Uh, I put that in heavy quotations just because. Yeah, because that's a weird thing to say to a human. It is a weird thing, but there is a very stereotypical thing where they're like, oh, you have to have this certain kind of nose or whatever, and I don't have it. You know, I've even had other Jews ask me if I've had a nose job, which for the record, I haven't, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just weird. Anyway, but yeah, I remember this year someone being like, is it okay if I send you a Christmas gift or will you be offended because you're Jewish? I'm like, how? <laughs> why would i be offended also why would you phrase that like that 
interesting. Just, just say if you're if you're not sure, uh, just say uh, holiday gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it just was interesting, um, and I think. Maybe a lot of people didn't realize I was Jewish, and then I kind of a little bit more out and proud in the last few years, especially because I um, started using my Hebrew name instead of right. my name that I was born with. And so maybe, you know, it's just interesting. But I was actually going to ask you uh, regarding mental health. This is something I always do with my guests. It's just we, we like to take it like a little deep breath and just I, I want to do a mental health check-in. Like how how are you feeling just scanning through your body and your mind right now in this moment? Okay, deep breath. Uh, I would say that um, I am, for the most part, doing well. I feel mm-hmm. really um, uh, lucky. I'm uh, currently writing on a Netflix show that's very fun. Um, I've got a lot of other kind of career things that are going on that are, uh, you know, like uh, things that I generally enjoy doing. I feel, I would say, like, fulfilled in my social life in that I live in and around people that you know I care about and they care about me um but you know I would say that like that's that's kind of like the broad strokes I think that once you get in there um you know I, I would say that I definitely feel anxiety about like the all of the career stuff that a lot of people feel anxiety about of just like saying no to the wrong things or saying yes to the wrong things or whatever um you know there's only so much time in the day uh there's also the worry of just like I think that the pandemic for me has made me um, more aware of uh, giving myself personal time and, uh, you know, self-care time and stuff like that. And I feel like I'm not doing that as much right now as I'd like to, you know, just because of being busy with like projects that I'm excited about, but it's still like cool to have free time. Yeah. And um, and then, uh, you know, I think that this is probably a common answer in this podcast of like, all these new variants are really stressful, you know. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's it's really interesting uh, regarding the COVID thing because I had the idea for this podcast pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it just so happened that I got my ducks in a row and launched it. And I was like, oh, well, the whole world is having a mental health crisis now. Cool. Glad that this is relevant. But it's um, it's tough. Yeah, that there's just like this low-level anxiety that I think collectively yeah. we all have. Even if everything's going well, there's just this uncertainty. Like, okay, if I, like, you want to plan a trip or you want to make any sort of career plans, there's always in the back of your mind, well, this could get messed up. Or, well, I don't know if I'm totally safe going to this place. And it's just something that we've kind of had to learn to live with. uh, Yeah. For worse. Yeah, like, over the past, like, I started going to the gym in... December November and Mm -hmm. that was kind of that was kind of a feeling of like oh it feels like we're in the tail end of whatever this is I've been meaning to you know just like in terms of self-care like going to the gym for 45 minutes every morning or whatever seems like a healthy good thing to do and um the day before Christmas was when like there was like the first Omicron jump Mm -hmm. uh in Los Angeles and I was like "Ah, I'm gonna not go to the gym for until this slows down and then like i think that day i was like i should probably buy some n95 masks and and some face shields so now i'm like wearing that to the store and it's sort of um yeah i would say that like low level anxiety is a really good way to put it where it's just it's it's like a a filter it's not necessarily like the whole thing but it's kind of like a filter that goes over your life that's like oh it's not it's never going to be a hundred percent because like yeah we're just currently as a world struggling through a crazy thing you know yeah yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, do you think that, uh, like, as far as, because you're, you're Native American and you grew up on um, on a reservation, are there unique challenges that are being faced by Native Americans that aren't being faced by the rest of us during this time? Uh, something that I feel like a lot of uh, listeners might, might not be aware of is that Native American, um, if you're a Native American, you're a member, you're presumably a member of a tribe. There are... Yeah. Um, 574 federally recognized tribes in the United States, hundreds more at the state level. And um, tribes are, it's better to look at them as countries that exist within, as separate countries that exist within the United States. So a lot of tribes have their own hospitals. They have, you know, reservation land and stuff like that. They Mm -hmm. have um, their own, uh, you know, in some cases, police forces and things like that. Um, And uh, in a lot of cases, um, these reservation lands are not... um, uh, as I would say, well supplied as big cities. So, um, 
So I think um, uh, the Navajo reservation slash Diné reservation, um, which is a good chunk of the southwest United States, takes up like a hundred some thousand square miles of land and there's mm -hmm. only like two hospitals and only like three respirators or something like that. Um, I'm not sure of that exact number, but it's yeah. something. It's a, it's a, a low uh, amount of hos open hospital beds in reservation lands oftentimes as compared to, you know, other places in America that are yeah. uh, off of reservation lands. So, you know, like that's that's been um, a very real struggle. Like I know that COVID really hit like the Navajo reservation really bad. Um, like there are a couple of other reservations, um, I think uh, in the Dakotas, I forget the tribe off the top of my head, where um, in the Dakotas, like outside of the reservations, people were being like, you know, a little bit more cavalier about masks and vaccine mandates and all that stuff and um there are these reservations where uh they would they were basically challenged the state government and would put up their own blockades like run by tribal members on roads leading into the reservation with the attitude being that like um we need to protect our people and make sure that like our elders don't get sick i mean um, i think that's smart Oh, yeah. Like whenever I saw that, it's like I think uh, I think it was like South Dakota when I saw like news stories where the governor of South Dakota was just like, how dare these native tribes do X, Y, Z? And it's like, no, you're a sovereign nation. Protect your people, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I think that that's like another part of it that is uh, I, I would say uh, it's just like a different thing as far as native culture goes in that um, our elders are our culture keepers. Mm -hmm. So um Oftentimes, our elders are the only language speakers of our tribes. They're the people that know the history, the legends, and stuff like that. So, uh, and like, in a lot of cases, this information isn't written down. You learn it by spending time with that elder. And, so it's, um, it's an oral history. Yeah, is, uh, in is a lot of times. Down. Yeah, so it's like if, you know, because COVID is something that definitely affects older people more, it's like there's a real concern with a lot of these tribal communities of like, oh, we don't want our elders to get sick because that might, like, cost us to, like, lose our spoken language, you know? So yeah, I, I would say that there's more, um, you know, uh, not not to speak nobody's a monolith, you know? Every, every, no, there so, are a lot of but, different tribes. I don't mean to make you, like, and also just within, And also just, like, within tribes, people are, yeah. you know, there are some people that are super careful. There's some people that are super not careful. But I would say that Indian country in general is, like, very aware of COVID safety. Like, I think that, like... Uh, tribes were vaccinated at like a huge very much higher rate like native folks than like a lot of other demographic groups and i think that there's also the thing of like for my tribe um uh this is not the first time that we've been messed up by a disease from uh not our area so like yeah um, so with my tribe there were uh, probably around eight thousand cowlets in like 1850 and then in 1860, 10 years later, um, the number shrank to just a couple hundred, two to 400. And that was largely wow. due to like European born diseases and colonization mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I think that for, you know, myself and I think a lot of native folks, like the realities of the dangers of an unchecked virus uh, ring true in our tribe's histories. So, you know, we take that shit seriously. Yeah, no, as as you should, absolutely. And um, I was reading some different articles uh, and interviews, and you know, you grew up um, going to these these native schools, and um, you're saying like it's not that different from a regular school. Um, how were were you? Because you're in comedy now. Were you like the class clown back then, or? Did you get, were you one of those people that got into comedy because you had to make jokes in order to deflect <laughs> things that um, were happening to you? I'm just I, curious of your, your like elementary school or high school experience. Oh, thanks. So uh, that's a that's actually that's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently about like, you know, I think that as comedians, we often think about like, why? Wait, why do I do this? <laughs> why aren't I a doctor? <laughs> like, and um, I think that for me, um, I my uh, my parents got uh, divorced when I was really young, when I was about like eight years old. I don't mm -hmm. remember if I was funny before that, but I definitely remember, um, you know, around that time really loving, you know, shows like The Simpsons, cartoons, comedies and stuff like that. And I think that I'm a, the uh, youngest of two siblings and um, like the, both of my siblings have their own like personalities and um, I feel like 
and they were like well established in their social groups and i think that because i was the youngest and i'm also just like a, i was a real run to the litter you know like i think i weighed less than 100 pounds until i was like 17 or something wow so um i think like i think that i definitely had a feeling of like oh my siblings received positive validation through or just like some level of validation or retention through what they do and i didn't necessarily know like how i stood out Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because I loved comedy, I think that that's something that um, slowly kind of colored my personality more as I got older. Uh, and then I also think that just like uh, being a sarcastic kid in the reservation, oh, I definitely got bullied a ton and I just kept on being sarcastic. And um, like, I think that I don't think that I really settled on me that being a, you know, a, a thing that I hold with great pride, probably until I was like, 15 16 and then i was like oh i think i'm that guy i think i'm like a class clown guy and then, uh-huh. after then i've kind of like stepped into and embraced the weirdness of whatever i am you know yeah no that makes sense and so do you think that that helped to deflect the bullying and kind of like if you can throw it back at them and make a joke either about them or about yourself that it can make things easier I think it did when I was in like high school. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely had like small friend groups when I was um, when I was in like middle school, junior high. But I was also like the I was also like the goth kid who wore black all the time and was sad all the time and wrote poetry all the time or whatever. So it's wait, like, that's so that, I love this. Yeah, Tell me yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> I mean, I would say that like goth, goth. It was like emo slightly before emo. So uh-huh. like. So instead of like, this was like before Screamo was a thing. So it's like, my version of that is like, I just listened to like pro wrestling entrance music and uh, <laughs> Japanese RPG soundtracks all the time. And, uh, you know, just like more black all the time. And it was just the like, was just like the, the, that, just like that kid. The like, the, I was like the weird arty kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I don't necessarily think that actually I can, I can point to, I think, uh, a, a couple specific moments um, so that's, and part of this has to do with like, um, when I was in, uh, I went to school on the reservation up until like the sixth grade. Cause that's like our elementary school kind of ended at the fifth grade. Sure. And then, um, went to school, uh, a middle school off the reservation. And that was just like a lot for me, I think for like, you know, like cultural differences in friend groups. And also, like I mentioned, kind of like my parents had gone through a divorce recently. Yeah. So, so it's been culture shock. I mean, yeah. I can imagine because you're going from um, a school where, I mean, it's obviously not homogenous. There are all different kinds of people on the reservation, but you're all part of this culture. And then you're going out into just regular American life outside of that. I mean, were, were there other kids from the reservation at this new school? There were definitely kids from from the reservation that went to the school, but the number definitely like shrank significantly. Mm-hmm. And um, around then, they opened kind of like a middle school, junior high on the reservation. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of like, uh, like the transition was a lot for me. So uh, I kind of went back to school on the reservation for seventh grade. And, you know, I think that that was definitely something where like I got used to like, I, like I don't necessarily, necessarily want to say that I use comedy outwardly as a defense mechanism but i think that it's something that was like i was kind of developing of like you know saying jokes with my friends and stuff like that i remember when i was in like i want to say eighth grade i liked the idea of performing and acting and doing stuff in front of people but i had so much stage fright that it was a thing that i definitely had to like build myself up to Mm -hmm. so um i remember like i was filming for like we had like a, a junior high TV station that was kind of like a morning announcementsy kind of thing, and I remember I was like filming a commercial for like a candy sale or something like that that I was doing, and I was like, I was doing it with one of my friends, and I was like, uh, I was like doing it knowing okay this is I'm doing this to like help this club that I volunteer with, but really I'm doing it because like I really want to do stuff on camera, but I'm like so shy and awkward and I can't really figure out what that is and like how to do that. So we shot this commercial for this candy sale that was going to play during the morning announcements. And then afterwards, like just the camera was on. So me and my friend just kind of like goofed off in front of this camera for like an hour uh, <laughs> in like the last period of class. Cause we already had our hall passes to like be out of class or whatever. Sure. And um, I found out afterwards um, that the camera was on and it was like live broadcasting to any classroom that had their TV on. 
Oh, wow. And this was a school with probably like a thousand kids in it. So it was like a pretty big school. And there was, I remember there was like one classroom that like just happened to be watching like, you know, a movie or uh, just like, you know, kind of a video thing. And at the end of the period, they like turned the VCR off and it just came to like me on screen goofing off with my friend, having no idea that I'm being broadcast to the whole school. Sure. And I remember like afterwards, uh, like a kid walking up to me and like knowing me as like, you know, the shy kind of like gothy, like way too emo kid just being like, hey, I saw you and your friend do a stuff on camera. It was really funny. And like I was like 50 percent mortified, but 50 percent I'm funny. Like, you know. <laughs> And I think uh, as I've grown older, it's like basically the mortified has shrank to zero and the wait, this is very fun and I like doing this has shrank to or has grown to 100. And, and that's such an interesting way to get introduced to it because like you had told me before we started recording that like you have a little bit of social anxiety or stage fright. And so to be able to just do that um, performance and you think no one is watching so, uh, and then you're basically just being your natural self and then you find out like oh people were watching you didn't have a chance to be nervous about the audience yeah well yeah for sure i'd be interested to hear if this this was how it was for you too where like the you have like your persona or whatever when you're in elementary school middle school high school junior high or whatever the way that you like kind of want to be perceived sure but then like the older that you get the more that you realize oh i can like be whatever i want and like kind of what 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 you are at homeostasis kind of comes to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So it's like for me being this like weird, wears black all the time, emo gothy kid, you know, that was my like wall that I built so that I didn't have to have like real interactions with people or whatever. <laughs> and then eventually I realized, oh no, inside that there's a real goof, you know, like, and I guess was that your experience at all? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, what did I put out there? It's interesting because I was also like, I was, I grew up in L.A. I was what people would call scene kid. (laughs) Right. I feel like I floated between different scenes. So, like, I was super into emo, of course, and I had a live journal and I would write my poetry and put all that out there on the black eyeliner and stuff. But I would also go to, like, punk shows or ska or um, pop punk or, you know, a lot of different scenes. It was mostly just, like, anything that was counterculture I was interested in. Right. But at the same time, I was also like in the AP program and I was a super overachiever and very into that. So I feel like I really led with that a lot was just like um, this this kind of like Little Miss Perfect. uh, Everything's organized and that kind of thing. And it definitely can be a front for letting people get to know you better, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's just, um, I think that when you're younger, it is just tough, like, one, to figure out, like, who am I, you know? Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, I think that there is also the thing of, like, like, uh, when you're you're a teenager, there's, what is, it's like imaginary stage syndrome, where, like, you think everybody's looking at you and thinking about you constantly. And no one cares. Yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) It's like, everybody's worried about, everybody's worried about the exact same thing that you are. Yeah. Uh, Everybody is also probably filled with anxiety of, like, you know... Uh, like I dropped my fork while I was eating lunch and everybody heard it and it's all everybody's talking about, you know, like that kind of shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I am curious. You said you've been to therapy before. When did you first go to therapy? And like, what was that moment that you said, I need to go talk to someone? I would say the first time that I went to therapy was probably when I was like super young, like 10 years old. Um, Okay. Like after your parents had separated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, my uh, my parents are very respectful of mental health and like getting your stuff taken care of and self-care and stuff like that. So there's like no stigmas around that in my house. And um, so I went for a little bit when I was younger. And I think that like I, I don't remember that necessarily being a thing that like helped me a ton because it was just kind of like the thing that like my mom brought me to, you know? Right. Uh, but I would say um, in my adult, other than like a couple of times, like I think there was a few times in like college where it's just like I went through a bad breakup and I was like, I need to talk to the school counselor. Or whatever. Sure. They always have like a grad student yeah. who is like a free counselor that you can talk to. It's like, I get it. You just broke up with your first girlfriend. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that in my adult life, um, my first time going to therapy, I was just uh, I was in kind of just like a like a toxic relationship and um it was uh this is something that um i uh did not 
uh, it did not f- track for me at the time that this was a thing that I Googled, but I was uh, dating a woman who um, had, and presumably still has, uh, like borderline personality disorder. Oh, okay. And uh, when I heard that, I was just like, it's fine, baby. <laughs> and then I quickly realized, do you, like, do you know anything about borderline? I do, yeah. So she like announced this to you, or yeah, she like, told you... it to me early okay. in the relationship, and I like didn't Google it, or like it's like I didn't heard of it, but I was just like, I don't understand what that is, so I assume that it's fine. Anyway, let's keep dating. Wait, you're really emotionally abusive, <laughs> you know, like right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, that's something that I didn't necessarily connect to. Uh, I didn't necessarily connect like, oh, that's like a cause for this abuse so i remember like we broke up like we still kept in touch a little bit but she was still kind of like bullying and stuff like that over text and i remember there was like a day where i was at work and she after sending me like you know some text about like a tweet that i did that she was just like this is a bad joke you're a bad comedian or whatever you know Mm -hmm. i um like got a text from her that was just oh i saw your friend on tv tell them i said hi and it was like wait like, and that, that just made me, like, I would say, like, upset, you know, angry, annoyed, whatever, to a level that, to me, didn't necessarily feel, like, it's sort of, like, it felt like, oh, this is more than just a base level, like, oh, this is annoying. This is, like, hurts me on a level that this person can, like, treat me so poorly and then, on a dime, be nice to me because they want my friend who's on TV to like me or whatever. Right. Well, and it's, it, yeah. And it, I'll say just as like a disclaimer, because I think it's tough because there, there are a lot of people out there that do have borderline personality disorder that don't treat people in shitty ways and are able to manage it or be on meds and have interpersonal relationships. But oh, yeah, for sure. It, and not, not, is, not making a broad uh, state. It's just, I yeah, know yeah, you're yeah, not. Yeah. No, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. But like, something that's specific about borderline which is different from bipolar is this like um impulsiveness and like a lot of risky behavior and also sometimes like this like emotions that are just inappropriate and kind of come out of nowhere right and it's it's probably unpredictable to be with someone like that and it's got to be stressful yeah like the 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 the, one of the main books about borderline is called uh like walking on eggshells and Mm -hmm. Like, that was definitely, um, you know, like, a lot of my experience of being in that relationship was, like, kind of not knowing what small thing that I'm going to do is going to really relate, is going to uh, result in, like, you know, six hours of consoling a person who's sobbing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, and it's definitely not making a broad statement about, you know, people with borderline or anything like that. Well, Um, it's still, it's tough. I mean, because, like, a big thing... um... Correct me if I'm wrong. I know a big thing that it seems to be common among people who have borderline is an intense fear of abandonment. So then, like, if there's something that goes wrong in the relationship and you bring up something like a normal complaint, they'll take it to the nth degree of like, oh, my God, this person hates me. They're going to leave me where it's just you're trying to have a normal conversation. Oh, yeah. And it was like it's just like little stuff. Like, I remember I uh like i had a cell phone alarm that went off for work at like 6 a.m or something like that Mm -hmm. and i remember um like there was a time where we were dating i was like staying over to her place or something like that and it was a saturday and it went off at six and i like pressed the snooze button instead of turning it off which like yeah i get that's like maybe not the most self-aware thing to do in a relationship but that's a mistake yeah yeah but that resorted in like a full like seven hours of like every stage of the emotional spectrum from this person I was dating and it's just like and it was also like my birthday so it was like oh man so I was just like oh this is uh rough to this is um difficult for me to uh be in this situation and yeah so I I would say that I you know just kind of went through that I, I think that there was also a level of you know like I mentioned you know being bullied a ton growing up of like uh self-worth from my perspective of like coming to terms with and this is definitely things i discovered through therapy of like you know like i i deserve to not be emotionally abused in a relationship um yeah like i think that that's something that's uh i think i don't think i think that i think everybody deserves to not be emotionally abused in a relationship yeah no i i agree i have been in uh unfortunately more than one uh relationship like that in my life and it's 
it's tough if you haven't been through it to explain it to people, but I guess uh, for anybody listening, you can see, you know, it it can happen to anybody. It doesn't, it's not just something that happens to um, people that have some sort of victim mentality or anything. And also like when you first get into these relationships, it's not immediately abusive. Like there is something charming and nice about the person, right? And then over time, things just kind of spiral out of control. Yeah, like um, one of the things that one of my therapists had me write down and print out was something I'm looking at right now was a sign that says, is this the best it gets for me? And I think that that's something that for me has been a really good centering thing of just acknowledging like, oh, if I'm in like, uh, you know, a a shitty situation or if I'm like in a relationship that, uh, you know, uh, is damaging to my psyche or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or if I'm, you know, working a job that stresses me out and that I don't like, um, it's just thinking about like, oh, I deserve better than this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And knowing, like knowing your own worth and knowing your confidence. Um, I think that that's really important. Like, uh, I, I, that was one of the biggest things that I've had to do recently after leaving a toxic relationship was just building my confidence back up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because you, you, you. In order to leave the situation, you have to get really strong to say, hey, I'm leaving, right? But then after you leave, like, it's just strange because there's a lack of confidence just in every area of of your life sometimes. Um, at least that's something that I noticed with myself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, hopefully, I mean, this has just been, I can only speak to my experience. But yeah. it's like, I feel like the older that you get, the more sure of yourself that you get and the more... Mm-hmm you know, kind of like confident in your own skin and your own worth mm-hmm. you get. Um, and I think that like also therapy and like stuff and like taking stock of your mental health are definitely helpful in that journey. Like, um, you know, I, I definitely feel like this is something that uh, I don't think that uh, 2022 Joey would uh, date somebody that made me feel like that for a year, you know? No, because you've learned you've learned the lesson. Yeah. And and that's that's the good part. Like. Because these relationships, as much as they suck, it's like, okay, well, the silver lining is we've learned we're not going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, like I've, like I've learned that, you know, if somebody is very honest with me about things that they're going through or ways they are as a person, maybe I'll Google it beforehand and be like, am I, am I, is this the thing that I'm in for, you know, or is this yeah, a thing like, that is I'm... this something that we can take on? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah for sure. Because, you know, I'll, I, I will usually lay that out as soon as I think that some, I'm getting serious with someone, I'm like, listen, like... I've got anxiety and and sometimes I have panic attacks and, uh, you know, also I'm lactose intolerant. So <laughs> if, if you only want to eat pizza, it's not going to work out. Yeah. I think my version of that is like, look, I like cats. I watch a lot of professional wrestling. <laughs> uh, I'm a big goofball. And uh, and uh, yeah, and I don't drink. So I guess that's pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, but I think it, I think that that is something that is, it's being honest with yourself and like open with you know your partner, whoever you're dating or whatever, with those things. Um, and I think that you know I think that there is also some level of like, if you date somebody and they tell you that you're garbage when you're like 18, that's gonna like destroy you. But when you're like in your 30s and you have like a bunch of cool accomplishments or whatever, it's just like, yeah, I don't know, you might say that, but my coworkers think I'm cool, so whatever. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that was something I noticed. Like, it, it, the older I get, it, the better I am at like seeing the red flags and saying, like, you know what, you're saying that, and that's not true. Yeah. Because I know that I'm awesome, and I have evidence of it, and like you said, I have other people that have, uh, you know, <laughs> can verify this for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like once you get, like, uh, you know, a friend group that you trust, it's like, that's, you know, I think that that's really helpful in, like, helping navigate those situations. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to say rough to go through, but, um, you know, I would say that um, our mental health journey is unique to us. It is, it is. Uh, everybody's got their own journey. So uh, a question that I like to ask all of my guests before we go, um, I have a segment that I like to call hot tips. Hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. 
Wow, thank you. Thank you for helping. Uh, so, Joey Clift, if you have a shitty day, whatever that looks like for you, uh, I know that you're a comedy writer, so maybe you make some pitches and they just don't seem to go anywhere. You get home, what is something, what is your hot tip that you are gonna use to turn your mood around? Is that like a piece of music or a food or uh, a show that you like to watch? I'm, honestly, it's open-ended. A couple of hot tips that I uh, do to turn my mood around. One, uh, taking taking a short nap is like very much, very much I think uh, a good way to just like give yourself a mental reset. Mm-hmm. If I'm going through like uh, a lot of change in my life, like I remember mm-hmm. um, in 2016, I think I there was like three days where I got like laid off from a, a comedy website I was working at, um, ended a relationship and uh got a new therapist <laughs> and I, wow. so i was like oh it's like a lot of change in three days through those moments of transition what i really like doing is going into like a sensory deprivation tank Ooh. and um it's basically like if you've ever seen uh, the simpsons episode where lisa simpson gets into a sensory deprivation tank uh, i haven't bas- seen that oh it's it's delightful it's like in the golden age of the show it's very funny very well written but um, so what a sensory deprivation tank is, is it's um, it's a soundproof tank filled with um, waste level uh, room temperature water that's um, filled with salt so you can float in it. And it's also there's no lights in it. So there's so it's like basically a completely black like box thing that like is uh, the temperature of your body and stuff like that. So you're essentially like going into a place you're floating in the water where there's like no other outside sensations so you can basically just be kind of like alone with your thoughts yeah and um what i like about that is it basically allows you to focus on what really matters to you Mm -hmm. um because you don't necessarily have like your phone to look at to distract you or like you know or something on tv or you know like a spot in your living room that you really want to clean or whatever and um i think for me uh that is a it's a thing that i like to do during moments of transition in my life as like a refocus of like what is the thing that like what's the thing that i like really want to do next or and like that that doesn't even necessarily have to be a like task it's just like oh what's in what's like the most important to me right this yeah what's second. your priority yeah and sometimes the priority could be something as simple as like um i would like to work out more or it sure. could be i would like to, i like writing so i should write more or whatever you know um and so like i've never been in a sensory depri- deprivation tank i've heard of them before it just feels like is it claustrophobic i mean i don't have claustrophobia but i feel like it could be a little bit scary or creepy in that way because it's completely dark right yeah so it's uh i mean i guess it's like i like i don't have claustrophobia because i don't i can't i so i can't necessarily speak to if that if it's like triggering for that or not uh i would say it's creepy for sure because usually the type of people that work at a sensory deprivation tank are the type of people you think who would work in a sensory deprivation tank place <laughs> wait, what, wait hold on what does that even mean so it's like there's one that i go to uh that that's like it feels like you're walking into like a super villain's lair okay so it's so it's like you i remember uh walking in it's like it's the sort of thing where it's like there's not like a storefront it's like you like ring an unmarked buzzer on like uh, a door or something like that and then it's like you can do a weird elevator and it's in the basement you walk in there's just like statues of gargoyles and stuff oh my god how weird and like the person who like mans the desk is definitely somebody who's like you who feels like somebody that's just like the the type of nebbish that would be like oh i love working in that sense place with where it's quiet or whatever <laughs> And I remember the last time that I went, this, I haven't gone for a couple of years, uh, uh-huh. but I, uh, the last time that I went, um, I was definitely sitting in the lobby and the two people next to me were definitely talking about like, hey, so you know that like the cause of 9-11 isn't what you think. <laughs> so it's like. Oh, no. So, so it's all, one the, of the, all the conspiracy theorists and like yeah, the alien yeah, yeah. people. Like, ooh, you know, do you ever listen to Coast to Coast? Uh, no, but on... I've, heard, I've heard good things. Okay, I'm just saying, I feel like it's like a similar audience, like the people who are into like the conspiracy theories and the aliens and the cults and all that stuff, like they're going to go into this sensory deprivation tank. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I feel like the people, the people that do it, I mean, I guess myself included are just like delightfully eclectic. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I I remember the first time that I went uh, in a sensory deprivation tank, um, it was uh, in uh, Venice, California. 
And um, your sessions in a sensory deprivation tank can be anywhere from like a half hour to as long as you want. But you order it kind of by, you order it by a specific span of time. So, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, whatever. Sure. And when your time is up, depending on the tank, on the company, sometimes they'll just like turn a very soft light on in your tank to let you know that your time is up. Or some they'll like, just like lightly knock on the door or something like that. And it's like, if you've just heard no noise for two hours and somebody lightly knocks on the door, you'll be like, oh, that's definitely the sign that I'm done. Right. So I went to this one in Venice. I think I booked it for 90 minutes. I uh, climbed into the tank, uh, closed the door, completely dark in there. And um, I was in there for a while and, um, you know, definitely came to, you know, whatever uh, conclusions I wanted to come to, like self-discovery or whatever. And then, but I was like, oh, like they haven't knocked on the door yet. I feel like I've probably... I've either been in here for five minutes or five hours. I can't really tell, but I trust the 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 guy that's running this place uh, to like let me know when I'm done. Who was definitely the most like Venice Beach, probably on LSD at the time, burnout that you can imagine. Oh no! <laughs> and um, finally, um, he knocks on the door. I get out. I look at my clock. I got in at 10 a.m. It was 2:30 p.m. <laughs> And uh, you were there for four and a half hours. I was there for four and a half hours. And like, so I, you know, got dressed and, uh, you know, went to walk out. And I saw this, the guy running the place sitting in like a lawn chair on the beach. And he was just like, Yeah, dude, the person after you canceled. So I figured I'd just let you ride. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's like, and the the worst part is like, I had a thing I had to do at like 3 p.m. Right. So you probably were late. I, I was. I was late, but I'd also been in a sensory deprivation tank for four and a half hours. So, like, I remember going into this thing. It was a a rehearsal for a a sketch comedy showcase I was writing on. And um, a friend of mine um, walked up to me after, like, during the showcase uh, while we were, like, rehearsing and asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And she was like... Yeah, you've just been staring at that light switch for two minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, well, because oh, you're just, in a different state of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you need to have, like, a decompression, probably, when you come out of it and then be able to go back into regular life. You can't just immediately go from nothing to a sketch comedy rehearsal, which yeah. is a lot of stimulation. Yeah, it's basically, it's going to a, an environment of zero stimulation to, like, to go from there to, like, a basketball game would be insane. You would just you would just be like, I need to go into the car and sit quietly for a little while. Oh my um, god! Wow. Well, I, I definitely need to try it. I, I feel like um, through doing this podcast, I'm always learning about new things. Like I tried Reiki for the first time last year, and that was really interesting. And um, just recently went on a meditation retreat, which I'll talk about more on probably a solo episode of this podcast. So, you know, I'm I'm all like, I'll try anything once. Yeah. You know. But I, I think it's good. Like, I, I tried a sensory deprivation tank because um, a friend of mine from college did it um, when he was going through kind of a moment of transition. He's just a guy that I respect a lot. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll give it a shot. I also like that Simpsons episode. So let's see what the hubbub is about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I tried it. And, you know, it, it's not something that I'm, like, doing every day or whatever. It's something that I maybe do every, like, two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's like, you know, when I finish a gig or something like that, I'm like, ah, I should go into sensory deprivation tank. And I think it's like good to try new things because maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you'll love it. You know, you don't know. You never know. No, you never know until you try. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely like, you've, you've sold me. I'm going to try it. Like the, the closest thing that I've done to that is I've been to like a, a place where there's an infrared sauna. And you can like, uh, rent that out for a certain amount of time. But that's different because you can have your phone with you and you can kind of like listen to music and stuff. So it's just you're like sitting there sweating in really, really hot temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Oh, it's great. No, you yeah. just kind of sweat everything out. I love it. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to say also, we didn't get a chance to talk about this too much um, on the podcast today. I did tease the fact that you are the king of internet bits and I will on the episode guide um, just put some of the stuff that you've worked on before that people should be checking out uh, one of which is Fire 3 which is the unauthorized third 
documentary about the fire festival that was like a mockumentary that i got to participate in it's a lot of different um comedians um basically making fun of the fire festival but it's the way that you put it together was really brilliant because it's it's crowdsourced there's so many people that are involved and it actually does follow the whole timeline of events like pieced together (laughs) yeah i um for uh, context for everybody um this was around when the first two fire festival documentaries came out and i kind of thought Oh, it would be really funny if a bunch of comedians just like slapped together a third documentary in record time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, so it's a 36 minute documentary that I made in two days. I uh, booked a theater for the premiere of it before I'd even started editing it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the script for it was literally, I took the Fire Festival Wikipedia page mm-hmm. and was just like, oh, I'll like do most of this. And um, I invited comedians to uh, basically be talking heads to kind of give their uh, thoughts on the fire festival. And I edited that through me doing voiceover of um, the the festival. And um, yeah, and the, the, I composed the soundtrack for it, which is, I think, like 30 original songs that I composed all 30 of them within like 20 minutes. Oh, I, I didn't just, realize like, you composed music, too. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, I basically just went to GarageBand and I was just like, oh, let's take some like take some of this, some like some of these drums. Uh, I don't know, like this synthesizer. OK, we'll slap this sure. here, export yeah, this yeah, as yeah. whatever. And like, yeah, I'll put this for 15 seconds here, you know. Uh, but uh, I, yeah. Oh, and also, I don't remember what the time code is, but I... My submission for this document, mockumentary, documentary, whatever, I was a, um, I did a reenactment as a fire <laughs> festival camper. Uh, I remember I uh, went out into the meadow at Silver Lake Reservoir and actually pitched a tent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, thanks for participating in that. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, very fun. I also got, I uh, got 2016 presidential election meme Ken Bone to supply. <laughs> That's a right. Video, uh, and, uh, pro wrestler Dolph Ziggler and uh, Ryan Namath, the Hollywood hunk. So uh, there were there were celebrities in this. <laughs> there are some celebs. Yeah, no, it was really fun. And then the other thing people should check out on the audio side of things is uh, the 50 States Project. Folk singer Sufjan Stevens uh, had a project called 50 States Project that he created that he didn't finish. Right. And so Um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Joey decided that he would finish it, (laughs) make an album for every single state. And I did a bunch of songs on the Hawaii album, as well as like, I think at least one other state. Uh, It was a blast. um, Yeah, that was uh, (laughs) that was very fun. Um, Yeah. Suvian Stevens, he proclaimed in like 2006 that he was going to make a state, an album for every U.S. state. And then he gave up after two albums and, um, yeah, I decided to finish it with uh, help from the internet. So we made, I think I want to say like 53 albums, no, 52 albums and three EPs. We did a, a double album for Rhode Island because I thought it'd be funny if the smallest state had the most songs. And then we did an album for the moon because the, because it was like, there's a U.S. flag up there. So I guess we gotta, uh, and then I think we did so an album funny. for like the territories and then EPs for like DC and Puerto Rico. And, and, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool. I mean, uh, what I thought was amazing about it is that you got all the stuff up on SoundCloud and then you got real music sites to review this music. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was one of the one of my favorite parts. We got a really nice write up from Pitchfork. So we've all been we've all been written up by Pitchfork. <laughs> like what, so, a, what a cool claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just like so any anybody that thought you weren't cool for being a scene kid, tell them, have you been reviewed by Pitchfork? Um, uh, yeah, you know what? That's right. I should put that on my resume. Yeah, um, that was very fun. <laughs> um, I I also um, something that I did not expect, which is very fun to me, is um, uh, a lot of states, um, different local newspapers for states wrote reviews of their states' albums. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think that there's like a newspaper review of like the South Dakota album or something that was printed in like a South Dakota, the biggest newspaper in South Dakota or whatever. That's like a real review of this album. They uh, took it seriously. Yeah. There's like a California magazine that like did a big review of the California album. It's like people uh, like I think there was like a podcast in like a Kansas based NPR affiliate that did like an interview with all the Kansas singers about the Kansas album. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, uh, you do a bit and it becomes art, I guess. Yeah, no, you, you're truly the king of internet bits. I'm, I'm excited to see what the next one will be. Um, you know, I, you know, you, listen, no spoilers, but I, I'm here, you know, if you need, if you, if you need to crowdsource anything again, you let me know. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What's the, uh, I'll, I feel like I'll, I try to allow myself, um, 
like I try to allow myself like one of those, one or two of those a year. I try not to do more of that because they're always super involved. And I'm also just like a working TV writer. So like I, I always feel weird when I like when my when my manager is just like, what are you working on right now? And I'm just like, I'm finishing a folk singers project. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not like a thing I can sell. And I'm like, OK, I'll write a pilot. Like, <laughs> But, I, you know, I think it's really nice as an adult that you do things that are just fun. You know, and it, it like it's just silly and fun and it's not you're not trying to make money. It's just because like, oh, this would be fun to do. You know, I, I think that that's something like I assume some of your listeners might, you know, work in the entertainment industry or be art uh-huh. types. And like, I think that that's something that has helped me. And I would say my like career anxiety journey is like identifying when projects are for me and identifying when they're for, you know, my career or whatever. Um and I think that that's like an important thing to do because like we work in such a weird industry where, uh, you know, like I, I often think that uh, Hollywood has been built on a foundation of sand, you know, like you could have, you could get a starring role in a movie and then like the next day, the director of the movies, like, I don't know, could get canceled or become a lawyer or whatever, you know, or which is worse than getting canceled. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that movie that you were going to star in could completely fall apart. Like, um Absolutely. And I think that because it's such a roller coaster ride of things that are dependent on um, other people and gatekeepers for you to like get the validation that you want, it's important to just have like dumb, fun things where you're like, oh, this isn't really a career thing, but this is something that like I can control. Like that was one of the reasons that I made my um, that my first Native American boyfriend short is, um, you know, like I like I'm fortunate to be working on a lot of projects, but it's a lot of projects where like. I don't necessarily get to dictate when I can talk about it, when it comes out, if it comes out, whatever. You know, if you have something in development, you don't necessarily know if it's going to get greenlit and become a show. And if it does, you won't be able to talk about it for three years or whatever. So, like, that short was me um, basically trying to create something that I could control when I when I could talk about it and how I could talk about it. You know, having a yeah. project that was mine. And, um, and I think that that's something that, like, you know, if you're, like, an actor, writer, director who's like you know waiting to get that next gig or whatever it is useful to create your own work um not necessarily to like get discovered or whatever but just because like it's something that you can take ownership over and you don't have to worry about like some producer liking you to make it happen you know yeah yeah i mean case in point that's why i do this podcast it's yeah. like a, it's a creative thing that i get to do and i have complete control over it and um it's not like something that I am, you know, it's not being dictated by anybody else. And so it's kind of like, I can kind of do whatever I want. And it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's just like, it's nice to have things where you're not like beholden to anybody on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Do you have any uh, last words of wisdom for anybody out there who might be struggling uh, with their, their mental health or, um, you know, any, any inspiration, uh, people who are aspiring writers, maybe? (laughs) Um, so I would say, uh, so, uh, people who are struggling with their mental health and aspiring writers, that's a Venn diagram. That's just one circle. When I said that, I was like, you know what? That that's the same. But yeah, those are are synonyms or homonyms. Uh, the word that means the same thing. Um, I would say that for your mental health, um, a couple things. One, one is, you know, I guess would be serious advice. You deserve better than to be in toxic situations. If you have toxic people in your life it's okay to cut them out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, I, I wish more people knew because, you know, it's like if you have a shitty boss, you could find a different job, you know? Um, I think in terms of the entertainment industry, like similar advice, like nobody is the arbiter of your career success except for you. So it's like if you meet somebody in the entertainment industry who's a jerk, but you're like, but they cast this show or whatever, like, you don't have to be friends with them. Like, you know, um, it's okay. Like, it's okay to avoid people who make you feel like garbage. Yeah. And then, um, you know, in addition to that also, like I kind of mentioned a lot of my creed, like literally sign I'm looking at right now. uh, Is this the best it gets for me? Um, uh, Another one that one of my friends made for me that uh, she had uh, tacked to her wall that she made into an art piece for me is the best I could hope for. And I think that it's good to identify phrases like that that you use in your life to keep yourself stuck in, 
you know, situations that don't make you happy. So, you know, for me, is this the best it gets for me? That extends to, that's like, you know, a relationship thing. But it's also a, like, you know, something that I went I went through recently is like, oh, I've got a lot of like clothes and t-shirts and things that I wore when I was in like college that like are kind of like ratty. And I don't feel like, I don't feel like, like like I'm presenting myself well when I wear those so like oh it's like a new t-shirt's 10 bucks I could buy a bunch of new t-shirts you know like um Mm -hmm. if there's something like uh, taking stock of is there something that would like make you feel better about yourself you know self-esteem wise confidence wise or whatever and like look into like how much would it cost to get to replace that or to fix that because oftentimes for me the answer is like 20 bucks you know like yeah and it's like it's worth 20 bucks to like you know, to feel good. Uh, yeah, to feel, feel good. Better about yourself. Um, to feel better about yourself. And, Absolutely. Um, I would say uh, <laughs> similar to that. It's okay to take stock as to if what you're doing is making you happy or not. You know, um, I think that a lot of the times we can get stuck as creatives in, you know, doing stand-up comedy for 10 years and you hate it and there's no point where you love it but you're like i'm 10 years in so i guess i gotta keep doing it and it's like do mm-hmm. you do you would, would you rather use that time watching tv or watching movies or getting really into reiki or whatever you know um it's okay to identify if like what you're doing in your creative pursuits and your spare time are like bringing you joy and if they're not it's like uh, you don't have to sink more time into it if you don't like it, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, Marie Kondo, your creative life. Yeah. Take, take a look at it. Is it bringing you joy? No. Just say thank you. Get it out of here. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then I, I think also in addition to that, um, something that helped me a lot, um, and this I guess speaks to to bring things full circle to what we were talking about earlier of like, the persona that you create when you're mm-hmm. a kid to kind of prevent people from getting close or whatever. I think that um, f- for me as a writer, it's really helped me to circle in on, okay, what are the things that I like ca- really care about and I should be vulnerable about those things. So, yes. you know, um, I, me, being a guy that love ca- loves cats, it's like I've always loved cats. I just didn't like talk about it in my comedy until like 2016 or so. I've always been native. Being native is something that is uh, that I'm very proud of, and um, it's something that I've been like involved in in my personal life and really passionate about in my personal life. But it's not necessarily something that I brought into my comedy up until like 2018. Probably because it just is something that has felt really like you know in terms of comedy vulnerable and close for me. And I think that like now those are the stories that I love telling because like it just feels like I'm tapping into like a real thing when telling those stories mm-hmm. so you know I would say like ta- uh, like maybe don't try to write things from like a persona try to think about like oh what are things that I really care about and I'm really passionate about and like I'm willing to be vulnerable about you know the opposite of how we were in high school or whatever and um, try to create from that place as opposed to you know, trying to write the best Batman sketch or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's that's great advice just to um, kind of dig deep within yourself and see like, oh, what are these things that you're trying to hide? Because maybe that's what you should be leading with. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Where can people find you on the internet so they can check out all of your lovely work and internet bits and such thanks for asking um you can find me on twitter at joey tainment you can find me on instagram uh at joey clift with like five or six eyes a 12 year old took joey clift with one eye so now i just got a deal um (laughs) and then uh i would say uh those are probably the two main places to find me and then uh things to promote um my first native american boyfriend is currently going through the festival circuit um it's probably going to be going through the circuit for you know uh, a good chunk of this year so um, it'll probably be screened somewhere near you you can follow me on twitter to find out updates on that and then um, I uh, just had an animated short come out through Comedy Central uh, it's called How to Cope with Your Team Changing Its Native American Mascot uh, How to super, what? Uh, How to Cope with Your Team Changing Its Native American Mascot oh cool um, yeah it's an animated short uh, it's basically a comedy PSA for uh, fans of sports teams who just changed their native mascots so uh, and it gives like, like the Washington yeah, football yeah. team. Yeah. So it's like, oh, instead of moving your hand up and down to do the tomahawk chop, wave it, f- wave it side to side. So you're waving hello at the opposing team. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you can check that out on all of Comedy Central's uh, social channels. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's uh, also uh, 
I'm going to promote Crying Behind Sunglasses. It's a very good podcast. Uh, follow uh, Kayla Dole on social media. She's great. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if people are this far in, hopefully they're following <laughs> me. But if you're not, yeah, it's at Kayla Dahl on all the things. Um, well, thank you so much for being here, Joey. I appreciate you. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever brain stuff it is that you're going through. I've been your host, Kayla Dahl, and if you want to learn more about Joey, uh, you can check out all the links in our description or on cryingbehindpod.com. I put up links to his various projects uh, as well as his socials. And um, if you are struggling out there with depression or anxiety, just please know that it gets better. Like Joey was saying, just whenever you're in the shit, think about like, is this the best it gets for me? And you can hang on for another day, you know? So if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to leave a review or, you know, if you didn't, then you don't have to leave a review. You can just go on your merry way, but I don't know why you'd still be listening at this point. (laughs) And uh, until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny.